Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. I greet you in the name of Jesus Christ today. We are glad that you have chosen to join us for this week's sermon of the Cape Elizabeth Church of the Nazarene. God's Word is full of timeless truths that are relevant to our lives today. Here's this week's message. I'm going to read for you today from Acts chapter 8. And um, I'm just going to share a brief kind of synopsis of what I'm reading is, uh, is about and then kind of have a different style of sermon for you than usual and also make sense of the Old Testament passages that we just read as well. Uh, but it starts at Acts chapter 8. Uh, we hear about a guy who's often called Simon the Sorcerer. A certain man named Simon had previously practiced magic in the city and he amazed the people of Samaria saying that he was someone great. All of them, from the least to the greatest, listened to him eagerly, saying, well, this man has the power of God. This man is the power of God that is called great. And they listened eagerly to him, because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, who was proclaiming the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he stayed constantly with Philip and was amazed when he saw the signs and great miracles that took place. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. And the two went down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet the Spirit had not come upon any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Well, give me also this power, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain God's gift with money. You have no part or share in this, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours. Pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and the chains of wickedness. Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing what you have said may happen to me. This story about Simon the sorcerer, someone who is trying to take advantage of the gospel. He started off by doing magic. When I say he's doing magic, I don't mean real magic. The Bible times is not some fantastical realm, some forgotten realm where there's magic and weird things happening. No, he was, he was a trickster. He was a magician like we have today. Someone who could trick people into believing what he does is real. And so, kind of wows, all kinds of sleight of hand, eye tricks, all those kind of things. And people would say, oh, this is amazing what he could do. And he ends up, through uh, his life, he ends up following the disciples. And he gets baptized into the faith. But along the way, he notices 
that the Holy Spirit is pouring out on people when the apostles pray over them, when they lay hands on them. And this pouring out of the Holy Spirit is actually doing things in the lives of those around them. Lives are being changed. People who caught in sin are free to not be in sin. People are, their character is being formed and changed. They are loving one another. They are, they are being equipped with the gifts of, of, of grace to continue to share this gospel. And he realizes there is real change happening in the lives of people when the apostles are laying hands on them. The Holy Spirit is at work. And insofar as the apostles at work in the book of Acts were, were, were duplicating or replicating some of the, the work of Jesus, the miracles, the healing and all that, he looks at that and he says, now this is real power. This, if it is magic, is real magic. But of course, our scripture tells us there are miracles. There is a distinction here. But Simon wants a piece of it. He believes he can get a piece of that power. And I think one of two things kind of happened to him. Either he was truly a believer when he was baptized. He heard about Jesus, he wanted to believe, and he got baptized, but he succumbed to the very real truth that we've all experienced or seen. Just because we are baptized, just because we have once made a commitment of faith, doesn't mean that uh, we aren't often tempted by the old ways of life. The old sins don't just stop trying to tempt us or try us. And what happens with Simon is he falls back and slips back into old practices. Oh, maybe I can use this. Maybe I can manipulate this. Maybe I can do this. Or, if that isn't the case, if this isn't a falling back to old patterns, it would mean Simon's baptism was nothing but a scam. A trick to cozy up to the disciples to try and figure out how they're getting their influence and their power. That what he sees in their prayers and and in the following of people around him, that those who are giving to, to spread the good news or giving in order to take care of the poor around them, Simon realized, well, if he can trick people into believing he's one of the apostles, he might be able then to have power. He might be able to have followers. He might have people giving to him. And oh, he can take that to the bank. Today is, is a message that comes as, as a pastor that is concerned about the number of Simons, sorcerers that exist today. Simons who masquerade as disciples, who proclaim the power of the Holy Spirit, but after one thing and one thing only. Your resources. Resources that are your means of survival and resources that are also your means of giving, taking care of others. A month or so ago, um, some people in our church and other churches on the district got an email. Got an email that seemed to come from the district office. An email that said, uh, I am in meetings all day today, but I have a pressing need. Please respond. Uh, You can't call me, you can't text me, I'm in meeting. But if you would respond to this, I have a pressing need and I, and I need your help. Can you help me? And if you were to respond to that email, the follow-up email would be like, thank you for responding. I'm sorry I can't get to the phone. I'm in meetings all day. But there's a pressing financial need and you can help me with this need. Uh, would you be willing to help me with this need? I need you to get X amount of money in gift cards for me. Some of you are chuckling. You know. Um, course it wasn't the district superintendent the district superintendent wasn't in meeting you could have called you could have texted it it wasn't the ds at all 
It was Simon the sorcerer. <laughs> this kind of scam has happened before and in our church and of course I'm sure in other churches. It's why we used to have our district journals. District journals are the accounting of everything that happened at the last district assembly. And we used to just post them online. They used to be on, on the website of, of the district. I remember when I first started ministry, that's where they They are no longer because what they found is by having that online, online was also the contact information of, of the leaders of the churches. And it was great because if I had to talk to somebody in another church, I was like, oh, what's their number? I would just look at the district journal and look it up. But I don't have access anymore to it in an easy, like, just look online. I have to go back to my emails. Where did they send me that district journal? <laughs> and so um, um, I, I know there's a fine function. makes it fast. But uh, anyway, it, it takes forever to kind of, kind, of, kind of find that. It's not as easy just going to their website. And so uh, that created, for people who want to send out those kind of scams, an email address to spoof the DSs or the district offices and a whole mailing list of people who trust that person, with whom they might try to trick. And so I've seen other methods like that as well. When I was at Lighthouse School, this is just a few years ago, I got a phone call. I got a phone call from someone who said, hey, we are with the electric company. We want you to know um, you are behind on your payments, and uh, we're going to have to shut off your power today unless you make a payment right now. And I was like, well, that's odd. We've kept up with the payments. I know I, have a, I had a bookkeeper did all accounts receivable and payable. I'm like, I know she does that. And she happened to be there. I said, hey, can you verify for me? Did we make our last payment? And they had told me the amount. It was like 1000 2000 something. I don't know. Um, and um, that, that was behind. And, and electricity was about to be shut off. I was like, oh, that's weird. I said, can you, can you tell me? Yeah, we made payments. So I said, wait, we, we, have, we made the payment. We made the payment. They said, oh, you made the payment? I said, yeah, it's this check number for this amount. We made it on this date. And, they said, and he said, wait, what check number did you say? I gave him the check number. And, was, and the check number is only like four or five digits long. And there's a pause. And there's a pause because they realize that's not the check number they want. <laughs> but we all know that's the only check number you need to give for anybody who's paying attention to uh, payments being made. And so while there's that pause, I quick go on uh, the bank account for business, uh, for, for layout school, and to, to determine, did it clear? Did it clear? And so they come back and they say, okay, well, we don't have a record of that payment. We're going to need some more information. I said, well, my bank says it cleared. And they, and and they, they come back with, well, that's not working. We, we still have this outstanding bill. And I said, in fact, all of our other payments cleared as well. And the number you gave me doesn't add up to any of our previous month's bills. Where'd you get your number from? And so they had a hard time answering. And I realized, yeah, this is a scam. And so I, I tell them, I said, no. Uh, I, I don't believe you at all. I don't believe you're going to shut off my power. I, don't, uh, I said, I, I just don't believe it. And, and I hung up on them. And uh, sure enough, the power never went out. They would call again like a month later. I was, I was busy doing something. So, hey, uh, the electric company called. And I said, oh, it's a scam. Just hang up on them. And they hung up on them. Nothing happened. Uh, and then like a month later, I was, I was at the, the front desk where, we, where uh, the parents drop off their kids. And uh, sometimes the kids are walk by to use the bathroom because it's a preschool and and I, w- I was sitting there, and, and in that exact moment when the phone rang, I was doing some things on the computer, but nothing else was pressing. There were no children who came up with a need. There was no parents at the desk. There was no teachers asking me questions. Everything was, uh, in just a moment, uh, I had some free time, and I got that call again from the electric company. <laughs> and uh, they said, you know, the power's going to get shut off today unless you make a payment. And I was in a mood. <laughs> and so I said, wait, what? 
You're going to shut off our pipe. I said, do you know this is a child care facility? There are children here right now. You can't shut off the power. At that moment, indeed, a teacher is walking by with children. So, the, so I know they can hear the children in the background to uh, take them to the bathroom for, their, for the bathroom break for the class. And uh, they're walking by, and they're like, no, we're going to do it. You need to make a payment on, on this. And so I start to, my lip starts to quiver. I start sniffling a little bit. <laughs> The kids look at me. They're like, what's going on? He's on a sad phone call. And I wink at him. <laughs> and, uh, and then I said, no, you can't shut it off. No, no. And then I finally I yell out, think about the children. And it was just this glorious, over-the-top kind of moment. And, uh, and they realized that I, realized that, uh, I knew that they were scamming me. And then uh, they, it took a turn for the worse. They decided to make fun of me for crying, even though I was definitely putting on a show. Uh, so anyway, it was just, it was just this weird turn. And, but like, those kinds of things happen, where people are like, what can we do to trick people in order to get whatever we can? No one from the electric company was calling me. In fact, the electric company never calls you. They only send letters. It was Simon the Sorcerer. Uh, I become desensitized because of that. Uh, But the first time is the time that they know they have the best chance of getting you. The first time they plant the seed of worry. Wait, what? They plant the seed of fear. Oh, no, of urgency. Because it's in that moment where they might be able to get you. Those electricity scam calls often show up in other ways as well. Maybe by email that purport to be from Amazon or Microsoft or the IRS about some charge or fee that was charged to your account. It will have a phone number attached to it. And if you respond, they're going to ask you to wire or send money immediately for some kind of payment. They're going to do what's called a refund scam, which is where they're going to say, oh, you were charged this amount, and you're going to say, no, no, I never made that purchase. Oh, okay, well, we'll refund you. Here, uh, maybe, maybe you had this charge because someone broke into your computer. Maybe you had this charge because you have a virus. Let me get on your computer and we'll search that for you. And then they'll get on your computer. This, this, this is what will happen. They'll get on your computer and they'll ask you. And now they have access. And they'll say, hey, go to your command prompt. Command prompt is a way in which you, you access like, the background information of your computer, not just your operating system. And anyway, they'll say, type some things. If you don't know what it is, great. That, that's perfect for this. It's perfect for this. And they'll say, put some information, you'll put in it, and it'll come back with, like, this command doesn't make sense. <laughs> there is an error here. And they're like, oh, you see these errors? There is something wrong with your computer. Hey, hold on, we're going to do this refund. We're going to have you type this in. We're going to give you the refund. Now, they're in your computer, right? And so they'll say, you know, maybe you were charged $300, supposedly. And so they'll say, put in the amount that you want refunded. And so you'll type 300 And as your finger is going to the enter key, they'll add a couple zeros. You were just refunded $30,000 instead of $300. Oh, no, you made a mistake. You put too many zeros. I'm going to lose my job. My family's going to go hungry. And now they've now they got you emotionally. they got you in a grip. I'm going to need that money back, or I'm going to lose my job. Go to your bank account and see if it, if it deposited. So you go to your bank account. Now, they're in your computer, so chances are they're capturing your keystrokes, even if it's on all asterisks showing up. So now they have access to your bank. But even if somehow it doesn't happen, as soon as you log to your bank account, your screen will go black. Oh, there's a problem with our connection. Just a moment. Just a moment. We'll pull it up. And then, while that screen is blank, that's the old magician's trick with the blanket. Can't see what's happening behind the blanket, can you? Something's happening. But when it is gone, you're going to see something totally new. You see, whenever a computer talks to another computer, like your computer talks to your bank, 
about the funds it has. The bank doesn't have like its own unique web pages with your account and everyone else's account on it. It is sending numbers and scripts to your computer to display what your information is. But you can go into that script and you can change what just your computer shows. And so they can add a line that says deposit and says $30,000. And, and then the screen comes on and boom, it looks like your bank account has a deposit for $30,000. And you're like, oh no. And then the, the, the tears again, I'm going to lose my job. My family's going to go hungry. Blah, blah, blah. I can't believe this mistake. You made this mistake. You have to make it right. And you can make it right if you'll send cash. You can make it right of the difference. And, and in that moment when they saw how much money you had in the account, they might have realized maybe you don't have $30,000 in your account. Maybe you only had a few thousand dollars. I'll tell you what, if you just send $2,000, then that'll work for now. And they'll ask you for some more later on, I'm sure. And so, um, but if, but they'll tell you not to touch the mouse, not to do anything. Because, of course, if you refresh the page, your computer will talk to the bank again. You'll get the right numbers up. <laughs> if you were to call the bank... The right numbers are because just changing something of what your computer displays doesn't change your account at all. It's all smoke and mirrors. It's called the refund scam. It's all a magic trick. Simon the sorcerer at work. And of course, there's all kinds of things involved with that. They have money mules who take the money you send and send it on to wherever they are or what country they're in. But some people don't like to hide behind utilizing computers or phone calls or fake emails or fake businesses. From, for some sorcerers, that's far too risky because of all the things that it involves. Instead, they just hide behind fake pretenses. So I've had the opportunity to pastor a handful of churches and meet a number of people who, have, um, who care greatly about the gospel, who care about the spreading of the message. And uh, for one of those persons, one of those churches, uh, he met someone who was an evangelist, a Pakistani evangelist. And in a world in what's called, what missionaries have called for decades, the 1040 window. Do you remember that phrase? The window of the world between the latitudes of 10 and 40, where the most populous areas of the world is in that latitude line. And in Pakistan, it's mostly Muslims. And of course, you could, uh, there might be some Hindus, but, but Christian faith is very sparse. And so this person is doing important work. And there are missionaries doing important work. But this particular one would meet and greet people through online means, Twitter, Facebook, share some pictures of some worship services, supposed lives being changed. They're doing the work of an evangelist in a needy country, a country with very little Christian influence, doing God's work. So they're asking for your support. And as soon as, of course, they get that support, they'll ask for more. There's another evangelistic meeting to support, or there's a special need that's arisen. We need a, a vehicle or a van to transport all these kids to the service, my child's in the hospital. My spouse had complications from their pregnancy. My child's in the hospital again. Month after month, can you send a little more? Can you send a little more? Can you send a little more? This is what I got to see happen to someone who I knew and loved. And what's interesting is because they found that person online, the truth is, they would have found more people online as well. But all the conversation with that person was one-on-one. -on -one. It was no longer public. And so imagine that one person sending hundreds or thousands every month to help out this person. And now imagine that they think they're the one really driving this ministry, but in reality, there's a hundred more people who think they're the only one. 
And so this person is getting hundreds or thousands every single month. Can you imagine the amount that they received? Multiply that by the number of people online that they might have got to buy in this as well. Suddenly this evangelist has made quite the income. Simon the sorcerer is using discipleship to take advantage of the gospel. I uh, share those Old Testament passages of Scripture with you because uh, they point out to us what the point of um, the people of God when they ask for money, why they do. In the Old Testament, um, when he says to the Levites, hey, uh, when they give, you're going you're to get the best, as long as you stay clean, as long as you're following the ways of the Lord. Uh, yeah, you're going to get the best of the offering that's offered. But one of the things it says in there is, you don't get any of the land. You don't get to touch it. You're not going to get to work the land. You have, you have no rights to it. The, the offerings that were given, that's how they survived. It was their food. It was their meals. It was, it, it was, it was how they lived. Because they don't have land to work. They didn't have another job. That was, that, that was, that was their means of living. Uh, to, to be a Levite was, was to be a person who was tied to the temple. There are no, um, you, you can go back through and you can see all the different, the 12 tribes of Israel. You, you can look at those tribes and you'll see like there's different regions and areas, Ephraim and Judah and, uh, and Benjamin. You'll see the different areas and tribes. Not of Levite, they're tied to the temple. They don't get to work on it. They don't have a means of income. They just eat what's brought during the festivals and during the regular times of guilt offerings. That, 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 that's their means of survival. And the other passage of scripture that we found was when the priest forgot that receiving that was not a means for them to say, let me see how much I can get. Let me see how fat a portion I can get if I stick my fork in the boiling water. That was not the point. The point was that to, to take that offering and make it a communal moment where everything shared with them for their well-being is also shared as an act of grace with the community around them to help them realize that what they are doing is living into faithfulness of God and inviting God to, to receive that sacrifice. And so that when they give that sacrifice, they say, Lord, we give this in hopes that you will redeem, that you will forgive, indeed, that we will be made right with you. And it is a communal moment. It's never a I, I'm getting my share kind of moment. When that happens, we have what happens in Samuel where that, those priest's sons were getting in trouble. And so, what happens is sometimes we hear, we find out that there are people who claim a part of the gospel, a part of Christianity, who are nothing more than Simon, who are taking and taking and taking. I could, I could bring up all kinds of memories with just one word. Tele-evangelist, right? Taking and taking until their homes are as big as can be, their boats, their whatever, as big as can be. Taking and taking. So I, I want to I share a moment uh, about how, how to recognize Simon for who he is. If someone ever asks, hey, I need, I need your help, can you make a payment? And the payments are not trackable nor accountable. It's a Simon. If you're ever asked to pay with gift cards, cash, or Bitcoin, or some other alternate method of payment. If you can't trace your funds, prove your payments, hold them accountable. Don't just see it as a red flag and let them explain it away. No, it's, it's pretty indicative of a scam. No one who is legitimate is afraid of a paper trail about what you give. On the contrary, our church... We have annual records of giving and payments. We have folders just in the library. 
in my office of annual meeting after annual meeting after annual meeting of a treasurer coming up and saying, this is what we spent, this is how much we got, this is where it went. Again and again. We have monthly board meetings, and whenever our treasurer, Brenda, who does a great job, gives a report, we never go into executive session. We've had, it's been amazing. It's never happened to any church. We've had people visit over this last year, just, just saying, hey, we just want to see what's happening at board meeting. They get to hear everything that happens. Uh, for us, our counters and those uh, who deposit into the bank, they can't write the checks. Their names, not on the account. Our treasurer can't make the deposit. We can make sure that the numbers at the two counters, thank you, Bruce and Fred, and anyone else who, who they pull in as an alternate on a given Sunday, uh, uh, they, those numbers always have to match up. And your pastor can't do either of it. <laughs> hands, hands off. In the Church of the Nazarene, funds received by missionaries going overseas is all recorded with the general church. Uh, everything that we do in the church is accountable to. And everything has a trail. And everything shows up in reports. When someone asks, can you give to this I need you to pay with a way that isn't traceable, whether they are posing as a Christian or or, uh, an organization. There is something wrong. It leads to kind of the second point, which is, are they part of a reputable organization? I think this is where I find myself very happy to be a part of a denomination, part of a larger body that has to hold this local church accountable as well. If it's an individual you've met online, someone who claims to be doing the work of the Lord, or if it's a religious group, Without full disclosure, financial disclosure, don't bother. If their financial statements are not held accountable to its members or to the government with which their nonprofit status is filed, don't bother with them. In other words, if you're not going to get a tax statement at the end of the year (laughs) with how much you gave, don't mess with them. We might say, well, I don't care about the tax deduction. That's fine if we don't. But if they can't at least provide that, there's a problem because it means they don't recognize or they're not putting themselves or yielding themselves before government. And I say, hey, we might want to audit this at some point in time if there's an issue. If they're a part of a reputable organization, though, that one question we have to ask is this. How does that organization communicate? Utilities and the IRS don't email. They don't call. Never. Never. All communication is automated through their mailing system of the post office. Amazon, Microsoft, Norton, or any other large corporation, is that really them emailing me? There's one way to find out. Did they give you a number to call? Have you checked on their official page that the numbers match? <laughs> if you won't find the number, the reason you won't find the number is because they don't want you to call. <laughs> you know how hard it is to call them? If I call the IRS, I've had to call them before. When I call them, I blank out some time in my day. (laughs) If they answer right away, red flags just came up. (laughs) Um, Because there's millions upon millions of customers. There's no way there's a calling center where I'm not on hold. Uh, I got an email this week about money charged to my account from a company I've never done business with. There's a link I could click, and there's a phone number I could call. Well, I'm definitely not clicking the link. And my determination on whether to call was based on one, one action. I checked my bank account. Did that money actually come out? Because if it came out, I can ask my wife, hey, I've never done business with this company. Did you do this? Did the money they said come out actually come out? If not, I don't bother. It's a scam. You see, my email's out there. My email's out there. It's been on district journals 
for years that have been used. It's on the back of our bulletin, which is posted online. And uh, it's just, my email's out there. I've had email for decades. It's always going to be out there. Who, wherever they got it from before, it's already a part of a long list of emails that get sold to different companies. It's out there. I can't stop it. My work as a pastor or through the district, it's out there. And so every now and again, I get an email like that. I'm sure that uh, they're, you know, they're just doing the numbers. We'll catch somebody some way. So what's the normal means of communication? A third way uh, to recognize Simon is the emotional manipulation. The emotional manipulation. I gave you one example when someone said, oh, I'm going to lose my job. Or, uh, you made a mistake even though they manipulated it. Or they'll say, uh, you know, if you can give to this ministry, if you can give to this aspect, God will answer. Trust God for this. Oh, you're in a hard spot right now. You're having your own financial hardship. Well, you can't back out on our ministry because what about what we're doing? If you trust God to, and continue to be faithful where you are giving, don't worry. Whatever hardship you're going through, God will see you through it. You just trust God. God will answer it if you do this. You know the hardest sermons for me to try to preach are are ones about giving? Because I've heard some emotional ones where tithing relies, uh, uh, relates specifically to blessing. I've heard those sermons before. And I recognize they're a bit manipulative. I like to think of tithing and giving more as the practice and habit of living faithfully to God and creating a habit and practice in our life where we will go and live a fruitful and giving and uh, uh, a life to others. It's not about trying to manipulate God. It's about becoming the person God wants me to be, not only in the church, but in the world around me. But we hear that. If only you'd give. If only you would uh, uh, put up just a little bit more. God will bless that. God will see that. God will be faithful. We already shared those Old Testament passages. We're not supposed to be seeking after money. But hope is a powerful weapon. Nothing empties pockets like conditional hope. If you do this, you'll get that. Because when you have nothing else to turn to, what's a little money if there's even the slightest chance? It's going to make a difference for whatever is coming against us. That's what we tell ourselves. So I've been here... um, four or five years. And I I looked back and I thought, what are all the ways I could have been a little bit emotional, manipulative over the time? Man, we, in our family, we've dealt with kidney stones. Oh, I could have came to the church. Hey guys, we got kidney stones. We're expecting that. We're going to have a big bill. Can you help me out? Someone, someone had carpal tunnel surgery. Oh, church, can you help us with that? We're going to have an issue with that. Oh, church, uh, car's in the shop again. I have repairs I wasn't planning on. Wasn't budget for, can you help me with that again? Now, I want to tell you that sometimes there are real needs that need to be taken care of. And sometimes what happens is it, 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 when someone answers a need, it's very easy for somebody to say, oh, well, now I have a new need. Maybe I'll ask them, they were good one time. Maybe they'll be good again. And, and that can happen. And someone can inadvertently slip into the Simon behavior. But I want to tell you, when someone starts saying, hey, this is the need I have, this is the concern I have, can you give? Can you give? Those are all red flags of something is wrong here. Something is not right. And so I want to kind of close today by asking, have you met Simon the Sorcerer? Oh, all those examples I just said. I didn't say that to the board or anybody. If you're like, did he say that to the board? No, it never came out. You can ask them. But I want to ask you, have you met Simon the Sorcerer? Because I guarantee you if you have, they've kept in contact with you. They've interwoven a story so tight in our minds, so convincing, that we're even saying as we hear this, 
Oh, but not this person. Not this person. I've been giving to them for so long, even though I've been sending cash. Oh, but that's okay. They've, they've told me why. It makes sense in my mind. We've determined that sending those gift cards or cash is an exception in their case. And it's hard to think otherwise because we've become so convinced of the work that they are doing. Maybe because of how dangerous their mission area is that it needs to happen or any number of excuses. Have we met Simon the Sorcerer? They show up online. They show up on television. If you've met them and can't name to whom they or their organization is accountable to, there is indeed a problem. If you have met them, and it's probably only a matter of time before you do, Acts 8.24 gives us an idea of what to do when we encounter them. Just pray for them. Just pray for them. God's able to work through people who've done terrible things. That's what happens with Paul. But that's it. Because until God changes their heart, they're going to continue to use the gospel for means that have nothing to do with what the gospel's about. Our time, our resources, our energy is better spent on those whom God puts in our path, those to whom we have specific engagement with, to those who are honest enough to look us in the eye or present us with the details we need, those who are authentic and those who are honest. And I told you this was going to be a different sermon than normal for me. And the reason is because I want you to know that this, this comes out of a place of love and concern. Because uh, I've never found myself so angry before as seeing someone who I love and care for as a pastor be absolutely taken advantage of. Nothing just makes my blood boil more. And, I, and this absolutely comes out of, out of a sense of care and concern because I know this is a phenomenal church. I've served other phenomenal churches, people who are giving, people who love, and, and I don't want that to change. I just said tithing is an act of creating a character that's willing to take care of and give and, and give our lives over to other people. Yes, that is who we should be. But the wolves out there know, oh, the church is the place to go. That's where the people are most trusting. And so to be able to point out the three main things is you're giving accountable, is the organization they are a part of communicating the way it's supposed to, and are they being emotionally manipulative? If so, they are Simon the Sorcerer taking advantage of the gospel and gospel resources and to watch out for that. If I were to ever become something like that, oh, tell the board, (laughs) they should address that immediately. Because what we are called to as Christians, as ministers, is to share the blessings of God with the community and world around us that indeed God's will and God's purpose is done for His glory and has nothing to do with what we are able to attain on our own. And it's my hope and my prayer that you receive that message in that vein. And if you find yourself or somebody else who you hear, oh, someone's in this. Someone's in this deep. They've been giving for a while to this. Step alongside them and help them. But I guarantee you it's going to hurt because they're going to think you think less of them. To be duped, to be tricked is not a sign of stupidity. It's not a sign of uh, some kind of flaw in character. It's just getting tricked. And if you have a question about something or someone, anything that you thought you might give to or are currently giving to, feel free to talk to me. 
I've identified some of the red flags. I've actually been studying this for a while and found uh, that there are all kinds of signs. But uh, it is my hope and my prayer that we will continue to be the people that God has called us to be, to take care of one another, but to also uh, do so with, um, with true diligence and eyes open to where the gospel is moving and to uh, where the trials are that are getting in the way. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, today I, th- I thank you for this time and uh, to be able to uh, really talk about some of the dangers that are facing us today. And Heavenly Father, usually the sermon ends with that moment of grace, with that promise of how we respond to you. And so perhaps today, Lord, we find ourselves saying, Lord, open up our eyes and help us, Heavenly Father, also to uh, not be hardened by those who have used and abused in the past, but just to be aware and to allow you to continue to shape and confirm the character you want us to be. Thank you again, Lord, for taking care of us and uh, help us, Heavenly Father, to have one firm conviction, and that is the gospel according to Jesus Christ who gave all he had for you. And Heavenly Father, I pray that you help us to see whenever that is lacking. Amen. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. More sermons are available online at our website, capenazarene.org. Our website also includes instructions for subscribing to our podcast so you can have a message delivered to you weekly. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.